our speaker for today is uh, Simon Wyatt. And he's a partner at Kundal and chair of the CPC Knowledge Generation Committee. And we're going to discuss on how to navigate through all these uh, available documents and guidelines and regulations out there for building services. Simon, do you want to say some more uh, about what you're doing uh, at your work? Yeah, so um, as you indicated, I'm a partner at Kundal, so I lead the sustainability and building physics teams there and have been heavily involved in the mechanical electrical design uh, over the last 15 years. Uh, and then recently, I've been a member of the SIBSI Knowledge Management Committee and then the second tier, which is the generation panel. So one manages the knowledge while one generates the knowledge. Thank you. Um, so we can start with the discussion and can you describe um, like what different types of documents there are out there in the in the market? Like we have building regulations and guidelines and then we have London plan and which takes precedence and which are compulsory, which are like a good practice. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a minefield to be honest. So there's there's a hell of a lot of documentation out there, and it's understanding which one is the important one, and which ones do you have to comply with, and which ones are guidance. Uh, if you look at it in terms of tiers, uh, the top tier generally is the building regulations. The building regulations is the stuff that you really have to comply with. It's mandatory requirements, and you need to get it signed off in order to complete the to complete the project. Um, but in terms of the building regulations, they're actually broken into a number of different tiers themselves. So you have something called the statutory instrument, which is actually the mandatory requirements. And most people don't actually look at that or refer to that. What we actually refer to as things called the approved documents. Uh, and you might be familiar with a couple which are called part L and part F. They're actually advisory documents for building control um, and they set out the requirements in order to comply. But it's up to building control which parts of them they enforce and which they don't. If you go through the approved documents, the, the screen boxes, which make up probably about 5% of the guidance, and that's actually the statutory requirements. Those are the things you have to comply with. So in part L, although it's got five criteria, the only one that you actually have to comply with in, all, in accordance with the law is uh, achieve, calculating the CO2 emissions and achieving a reduction over the target emissions rate. Uh, to support the approved documents, there's also a whole range of second tier documents like the domestic and non-domestic heating and ventilation guides, which give minimum performance standards. Again, they are advisory for building control and building control will enforce them unless you can give them a good reason why you wouldn't do so. Uh, another layer of um, regulation and control is planning. So building regulations is normally on uh, sign off of the design or sign off of the building on completion. But we have to go through another set of hurdles called planning. Uh, and at those points, you generally have to meet national, regional and local planning requirements and get those signed off. So normally, one example is the London plan. You have to meet the local authorities' requirements, the London plan requirements, and you normally do that kind of REBA stage two very early on, and they will have a strict set of guidance which they want you to follow unless you can demonstrate why you wouldn't do so. That's signed off, and then you move on to the building regulations. So there are different times in the, in the programme that they have to be applied with. 
And then on top of that, you have professional bodies like SIBSI who provide information and industry guidance, things like the BCO, uh, the current like, kind of LETI guidance and kind of just uh, guidance documentation. Uh, professional bodies are a bit more um, slightly different uh, in, in regards that they're classed as the best practice for what uh, the industry is. So SIBSI is obviously the best practice for heating, ventilation, public health uh, and sustainable design for buildings and their guidance is seen as industry best practice. So you really have to consider them. Uh, I'll come on to when you have to actually design to them in a minute, but they're, they're generally a tier above the industry guidance. And then lastly, you have uh, client requirements. So clients like the NHS or the Department for Education have their own standards, which they require you to comply with. Again, it's signing up to a contract and that's really the, 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 the long and short of it. We, there are things on projects called employers requirements which basically set out what you have to do and if they set out in the contract then you have to do it so if it says you will design in accordance with SIBSI guide a then you're contracted to do so if it if it doesn't say that and it just says you will design then if it ever goes to dispute as a project uh, the judge and the court will look what is considered industry best practice. So, for example, if you're designing a mechanical system, there's nothing in the ERs, you've not signed a contract, there's a problem with the building, it's not working, then the expert witnesses will look to industry best practice, which would generally be SIBSI, and say, okay, you should have been designed to that, why haven't you designed to that? So it's really a minefield uh, of, of where to comply with stuff and where not to. And again, industry guidance, uh, which isn't isn't mandatory, but can become mandatory very easily by someone stipulating that it's a requirement in the yards. So a good example is the British Council of Officers, who I'm a member uh, on the Sustainability Committee and help write the guidance for that. It's a guide. It's not supposed to be taken as a, a mandatory requirement, but if a client writes that the design will comply with it, then it must comply with it. And a lot of people use the BCO as a legal document now going forward saying you've built a building but it doesn't comply with these five things from the BCO and then they look for mitigation. So it, it, it's a lot of legal uh, terms and it's really important you understand what you've signed up to provide and what you've signed up to provide the client. And how do you how do you scheme through all this information and uh, compare them and see what's relevant? So you first go to the to the client requirements, and then uh, if the client doesn't specify specific uh, details, then you go to the regulations. Yeah, so again, regulations you have to uh, comply and, and most client requirements will basically say comply with the relevant regulations. So uh, unfortunately, I think you need to get a good understanding of uh, most of the building regulations. But for uh, SIBSI engineers, the main ones are Part L and Part F. They're fairly light documents. They're not easy reading and they're not particularly well written, but they're fairly easy to read. And I recommend that everyone has a read through to understand the differences and what's actually required. And also the domestic uh, heating and ventilation guides. Uh, but for planning, it's more project specific and planning regularly changes. So you need to, when you're on a new project, just refresh yourself on what's going on. Industry guidance, similar. So if you're doing an office building, go to the BCO. If you're doing uh, another type of building, uh, say a residential, go to the Good Homes Alliance and look at what's their current standards and just refresh yourself at that point. And again, it's, it's looking at the ERs, understanding what the client's asking for. 
and quite often the ERs might be contradictory. It might ask for something which completely contradicts another one, and then it's always worth checking with the client uh, what they actually want. All of this comes back to making sure that you're delivering what the client wants. You should advise what is the right kind of guidance, and if they are contradiction or asking things you don't think are relevant, there's no harm in going back to the client and getting a better understanding. And I think you partially uh, answered uh, my next question, which would be like um, a lot of these CIPSI documents, you need to be member of CIPSI or to be provided from like the company you're working on to have a library. Uh, how do you overcome the problem if you don't have access to that? Like how, how can you find these best practices uh, that CIPSI is uh, suggesting? Yeah, so hopefully, Hopefully, as many of you are CIPSI members uh, as possible, it's, it's fairly easy to join as graduate level or uh, or go up through the grades. Uh, and all guidance is available to CIPSI members. If you're outside of CIPSI, a lot of the documents are available online uh, and in PDF. If you're working for most organisations, they will have uh, membership and, and download and have a library of these documents. Uh, it, there are a number of paywalls. For example, BCO, you must be a member uh, to get a lot of the documentation. Uh, it's understanding which ones you need. If, if you're working on a project and there is a requirement to comply with guidance or industry standards, then your company needs to download that information. You need to make it clear to your line manager that you need that documentation to uh, move forward. Uh, all the planning stuff and most of the stuff is freely available online. And over the last decade we've moved more to an open source uh way of life uh and more of the institutes are becoming more and more open and as my role on the knowledge um management committee one of the main discussions we're having at the moment is moving the guide to be online and making it more open source so that everyone can have access to it so times are changing but at the moment there are still some barriers and walls associated with that and uh, is there maybe a tool coming out from um, from Cipsi that uh, there will ha like you will be able to search for information instead of uh, going through all these documents or do you yeah, know so if there is a plan? Yeah. So at the moment, uh, the Cipsi is broken up into a lot of different documents, and it's it's quite confusing. So you've got the main guides, things like Guide A, B, C, which are the basically the the, the gold standard of Cipsi. Then you have things called technical memorandums, which are basically um, uh, supporting documents which have come out over time. And the idea of them when they first came out was to support the guides and then be incorporated into them. But they've kind of sprouted their own legs and run off. Uh, and we need to basically bring those back in line. And similar with the with the application manuals, uh, the, the research insights and the white papers, all of these things are supplements to the guide. Uh, and, and the guide is, it was done that way because the guide was rewritten every five, five or so years. Uh, and it was, it was stuff in the meantime. What Sibsi is doing more and more is moving more online. And that's why we've created the new uh, two panels. So one to manage the documentation, one to generate it. And when we're generating information now, we're not thinking about TMs, AMs or guides. We're just thinking about the information that the members need and bringing that information to the members. Uh, the Knowledge Committee are looking now at how they streamline that knowledge and get it into kind of a very concise guide. And the long-term aim will be to have uh, one guide which is online, uh, which has all the information. And if you want to read it from top to bottom, it will be the, the information which is really relevant and needed. 
Uh, whereas if you want to go off and drill down into detail, you'll be able to click through and go to the nth degree of technical detail. So it is changing, but as Sibsi is a charity, it will take time and uh, and and uh, people's effort to get that to that status. But for now, it's it is difficult to understand. But you just need to get your head round which is the most appropriate documentation to use at any one time. And um, I think last question will be that all these documents can be overwhelming and the problem is that they get updates every year every couple of years or in certain times so how can someone be like a young engineer stay updated and follow all these update uh, all these changes like what's the, the simple, best way you follow the simple answer with sipsy's documentation is you'll never no one knows everything. I think there's probably about two people who, uh, how being one of them, uh, who knows everything that's in all the guidance. Don't worry about trying to read or understand all the guidance. What you need to know is how to navigate through the guidance. Uh, I recommend that everyone reads through Guide A. Uh, Guide A is probably the most um, uh, general and it gives you the background understanding and information to move forward. Uh, so everyone should have a good understanding of Guide A. Uh, but then the rest is really project specific. Like if you're doing heat networks, then you go to the heat networks guided practice. If you're doing lighting, you go to the lighting guides and then you it's really project specific. And that's where you really learn the detail. Uh, like I, I've done over my time at uh, Candle a lot of expert witnessing and the way I've learned the guides is really where we've been trying to understand uh, and apply it to projects which have failed uh, and and then using it for litigation and, 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 and reasons. So when you're doing design, just make sure you're aware of what's going on uh, and then just drill through. Like one of the most interesting things I've, I've done in the last few years is there's a lot of overheating in residential uh, and we've had to basically go back and unpick the SIBSI guidance so, because at the moment SIBSI have TM59 which is a great document on residential overheating but before that came out there was a minefield of SIBSI documentation which cross-referenced referred to each other and it was very difficult to tell what were the design standards and how to do it and a lot of people made mistakes uh, so it, it's really going through and trying to uh, understand the, the hierarchy of these things when you're doing design, but don't let it overwhelm you. Just take it bit by bit. If you're doing a design of a mechanical system, look at that section. If you're doing lighting, go to that section. Don't try and read or skim it all. Just take it as you go through projects. Okay, thank you very much. I hope uh, it was quite uh, helpful for everybody.